0: Challenging men to be great men. Don't just be a male. Be a man. A great man. Welcome to the Great Man Podcast with your host, New York Times best-selling author and leader of men, Stephen Mansfield. Well, welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast and the Great Man Podcast. I'm doing something in this episode that I rarely do, and that is to speak to both of my audiences about a subject of importance. I do two podcasts. One's The Great Man podcast, which is a podcast for men, coaching them, mobilizing them. And the other is the Stephen Mansfield podcast, in which we look at the world, current events, largely through the eye of faith, through the eyes of a sane conservative, um, through the eyes of a historian, and we talk about our times. I don't mind introducing my audiences to each other. I also want to talk about, in this episode, something that's pretty important that's just recently happened. All of you know that there was a shooting at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about what happened. Let's talk about some solutions. And this is why, uh, this topic being so huge, I wanted to talk to both of my audiences in this one episode. is about 80 miles west of San Antonio, if you know that, where that is. Uh, I feel some affinity with Uvalde. I've been there. I lived for 10 years in Abilene, Texas. Uh, Uvalde is where the actor Matthew McConaughey is from. This is his hometown. I imagine this episode uh, will launch him a little bit politically if he still is interested in politics because he's uh, stepping to the fore and speaking to the issues there. And uh, I'm proud of a lot of what he's saying. Here's what happened. A young man named Salvador Ramos. By the name, you can tell he uh, is Hispanic as far as we know. They're checking all that out right now. Uh, He moved from out of state, lived with his grandmother in Uvalde. Uvalde, by the way, is the town of just under 16,000 people. So uh, I like to think in terms of families. You can think in terms of about 3,500 families in this little town. Uh, He lived with his grandmother. Ramos lived with his grandmother, uh, he was a troubled young man. He had a speech impediment, apparently. Uh, he was bullied at his school. Uh, he wore mascara. He dressed oddly. Uh, he was an outlier. And he got picked on by the kids in his school. Apparently, there was a lot of seething, rage, anger, bitterness. And there was also, there's also some hint, and the experts will tell us more as time goes on, there's also some hint that there were some mental problems there. Well, when he turned 18, he went to a gun store. He bought a number of guns, including an AR-15 and ammunition. And he began letting a few people know online that he intended to uh, do, a, do a shooting. And he specifically mentioned an elementary school for some reason. The reason that we didn't hear this in advance, or at least, I mean, the, the public didn't, maybe some officials did, is that the people he was telling online didn't know who he was. He's so lonely, so isolated, uh, and so odd Uh, that he was, for example, telling a girl in California what he was going to do, and she didn't know he was. She thought maybe he was trying to impress her or flirting with her in some way. Excuse me. So Ramos, uh, as we all now know, got up one morning, shot his grandmother in the face. She survived, was able to call 911 after he left the house. He then uh, raced in his truck to uh, Rob Elementary School, I don't know why he fixated on an elementary school rather than his own high school, uh, but that's what he did. Uh, he crashed his truck into a, uh, a ditch. Uh, people saw him crash, called 911, reported that he exited the vehicle with a rifle. Uh, he then entered Rob Elementary. There was an exchange of fire with a security guard. He wounded the security guard, and then he entered Rob Elementary School. Over the next hour, this was about noon, over the next hour, uh, and of course, we still have conflicting reports, as always happens in a situation like this. Uh, Over the next hour, he killed 19 students. Now, I want you not to think of high school or college students. Uh, I know this is horrible to put in your mind, but we're talking about eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds. We're talking about first, second, third, fourth, fifth graders. It's It's bad. 19 students and two teachers, uh, both of whom, by the way, those teachers conducted themselves heroically, uh, shielding students with their bodies, confronting the shooter. Uh, The preliminary report is that Ramos locked himself into a classroom uh, with those two teachers and students, um, kept them there for a while, and then either shot them progressively or when the police began to kick in the door, Um, or come through the door. We don't know for sure exactly how that happened. Um, He then shot them all, 19 students, two teachers. Now, it's horrible, and it's added to the 311,000 students in America who have experienced gun violence in their schools since Columbine many years ago, one of the first major shootings at a school uh, in our society. So 311, we have these repeatedly, we've had them in elementary schools, we've had them in nursery schools, we've had them in high schools, we've had them in colleges. People are weary of it. And of course, you have the normal reactions, and I'm going to talk about some of the possible solutions here. But you have the normal reactions, people, some folks, especially uh, our current president blames guns. Blames the Democrats for not doing more. I mean, I'm sorry. Blames Republicans for not doing more on guns. Uh, this is the mode. This is the dialogue uh, that Republicans have refused to do anything on guns, and, and Democrats have tried to uh, engage in aggressive gun laws. And there's a stalemate, and students are being shot. I'm not criticizing that view. I'm saying that's that's where the debate goes. But usually, I'll have to say my main criticism. Of the fact that that's the default position, is that, that where it, that's where it stops. That's where it stops. We don't, we don't go further. We don't talk about uh, other solutions. We don't talk about the fully orbed response uh, to a situation like this in our society. So let me dive in to some things I just want you to consider as we look at this uh, moment that is likely to be, I hope it is anyway, a turning point in our policies, a turning point in our society. First of all, let's talk about guns. Now, I want to say right off the bat that when I start talking about guns, I don't mean to laugh in the middle of this serious situation, but having having tried to address guns from what I consider to be a sane perspective, uh, I do get hammered quite a bit. Uh, Some of my dearest friends disagree with me. We have discussions. I've been beautifully tutored by some friends who know far more about guns technically than I do. Um, So, I, on the one hand, I decry the fact that our society immediately starts talking about guns as though guns and gun policy are uh, they are the only things we should be discussing in response to a situation like this. Let's talk about guns, then we can lay them aside and talk about some of the things that I think actually are a bit more substantive in this at this point. Um, I believe, as you know, if you listen to this podcast, or at least you listen to the Stephen Mansfield podcast, welcome to those of you who are uh, audience for the great man podcast. I believe in what I call uh, sane gun laws, uh, a sane approach to guns in our society. Let me state right up front that I'm in agreement with some of our Nordic friends, uh, that a society is safer if good people who are mentally healthy and non-criminals have guns, know how to use them, train often, and are competent in them. We are a safer society when we have healthy gun ownership and use. We just are. Uh, the stats constantly show that where that's the case, uh, criminal activity drops. And I want to say too something that's going to be radical uh, to some of you listeners, and that is sane gun laws are a conservative, should be anyway, a conservative cause. It's ridiculous that we have this conservative-liberal dichotomy up on the hill in D.C. and can't seem to get anything done. Conservatives, and I am one, uh, believe in law and order. We believe in policing best done at the local level. We believe in um, that a man, a family's home is their castle, and they ought to be, ought to be have the right and the power to defend it. Um, we believe, uh, in, in preventing criminal activity and, and doing what we can we conservatives recognize that there's evil in the world. There will always be evil in the world. Conservatives are not, um, idealists in the sense that they believe there's, excuse me, that there's a utopia that we can build a utopia on earth. There will always be criminals. There will always be evil doers. There will always be wickedness in the world. Uh, we we don't believe we're building a utopia that might be a little bit different, um, from some of the utopian impulses, particularly in American history, where in the 1800s in particular, there were desires to build the ideal utopian society. And that motivated a lot of politics, a city upon a hill. We can be the perfect society. We can be a light to the world. I believe a lot of that, but the way we do that in part is by recognizing that there's evil in the world and it needs to be guarded against. There's evil in our souls. Uh, again, conservatism grows largely out of a Christian worldview, a Judeo-Christian worldview, which believes in a fall, which believes in redemption, which believes in uh, individuals who, who, can, who can lean uh, evil uh, or rise to righteousness. And you have to discern in a society who is who. So sane gun laws keep hands out of the criminals while allowing uh, good citizens to have them and encouraging them to be healthy, to be skilled, to be practiced, and to use uh, safe gun tactics, meaning how you store it in the house and things of this nature. So I have said this before, and I can already hear some of my dearest friends groaning when I say this, but I believe in background checks and I believe in cooling off periods in some cases. Um, and and I, I believe in uh, required training and required schooling. I've said before on this podcast uh, that I have a concealed carry permit. Um, and I'm glad I do. And I'm grateful for it. But I had to do a lot to get it. Uh, I had to do, undergo a criminal check. I had to give my fingerprints. I had to go through a seminar of, of gun usage and even prove a skill at shooting. Um, and I was happy to do it, but I was already pretty skilled. Still, I was required to do that. And I'm grateful for it. I don't think anybody who's over 18 and has, you know, $100 should be allowed to carry a concealed weapon in our society without the, the government knowing who they are, without us uh, making sure that they basically know what they're doing with us with it, and perhaps even having some reason for it. Why, why does everybody need to have a concealed carry permit? So um, I believe in background checks. Uh, I don't think that's any problem today. That can happen very rapidly. You can buy a gun within a few hours notice. Um, I believe in cooling off periods. I don't think a drunk man or an angry man breathing out murderous oaths against his wife should be able to buy a gun. I think the gun store owner or the police or somebody should be able to say, hey, cool off, you can buy a gun in three days or in a week or whatever the laws are. And by the way, I believe these laws are not be federal. I think they ought to be state by state because cultures differ. differ. So yeah, I would like everybody listening to this podcast who's not a criminal and who is uh, mentally healthy, Uh, to have a gun, be trained in gun usage, practice often, uh, and keep it safely in your home and teach the members of your family when they are of age how to use it. I think we would be a safer society. That's not the kind of gun usage that's causing us problems, but it would prevent some things. It, it would stop some things. And by the way, one other thing that I believe that i get hammered for even from my dearest friends, and I'm only laughing because it's, I'm just, I can already picture the conversations I'm going to have 24 hours after this podcast airs, and that is that I don't think some of the larger, uh, more destructive military-grade guns ought to be allowable for private citizens. What do I need with a bazooka? What do I need with a tank? Uh, what do I need with a you know some of the the weapons that you see guys uh, online bragging about having? What do what do I need with a you know an M60 or whatever? What what do I need with that? And I don't know that we ought to be making those available to civilians. Okay, said enough. I know my views are a little bit controversial, but quite frankly, I'm very moderate on this. I believe in gun control. I believe in gun ownership at the same time. Uh, I, I believe in an armed society. Um I believe the first amendment grants us that right, but the first amendment was also within the con- was written within the context, I'm sorry, the second amendment. The second amendment grants us gun, gun ownership, but it was also in the context of militia uh, militias and repelling invasion and uh establishing law and order. So, enough said. We need sane gun laws. We don't need to be in the pockets of gun manufacturers. We, I welcome them. I'm grateful for them. I like the American lore of guns. I like the beauty of guns. I like the skilled use of guns. I've been able to train a number of times with high-level experts. I love that. And I still am extremely cautious. I'm not cocky. I'm extremely cautious uh, when I use my guns. Don't let anybody in the room when I'm even moving it in into the, into the bag to go shoot and all that kind of stuff. Very, 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 very careful. Have it locked away in my home. So all that to say... Uh, I I believe in it completely. We've got to have sane laws, and it's time for these walls of division to come down. We don't need to be funded, as I was saying, uh, or or our politics doesn't need to be shaped by gun manufacturers, grateful as I am for them. Um, We need to do what's right for the society. Okay. Let's lay aside guns, and those of you who are my friends who I'm going to hear from, baby, I welcome it. Come talk to me. Let's keep the great debate going on. Remember that I am pro-gun ownership. I'm just also pro-gun wisdom in our society. All right, there's a second issue before I get to the big issue I really want to talk about, and that is the security in the school as a whole. Uh, Apparently, Mr. Ramos uh, walked into the school. Now, granted, this is an elementary school in a small town. So it's perfectly understandable that it wasn't an armed camp. And yes, a security guard did engage Ramos as he walked into the school and did open fire on him and was himself wounded. That's a question to me because gun lore... Uh, being on the range, being able to shoot well. I'm not blaming the security guard. I don't know his name. I'm not going to mention it. He was a hero, an attempted hero in this matter, and I'm grateful that he was where he was. But uh, an 18-year-old without much gun experience was able to wound him and thus enter the school. And so what I'm talking about is if we're going to have public schools in the current state of America, uh, I don't want to turn them into armed camps, but we are going to have to provide good security, well-trained people, locked doors, cameras, etc. And a number of things went wrong at Robb Elementary. I want to say quickly, I'm no expert and are and all that we know are the preliminary reports. But apparently this man, this Ramos shot the only security guard to engage him, walked through an unlocked door Apparently, there aren't cameras as many as there should be. So we have very little video of what happened inside. He was able to, Ramos was able to lock himself inside of a classroom, which then police had a hard time getting into. All accounts are, this is even from uh, officials. Uh, this is not just scuttlebutt from police. This is, this is officials uh, reporting on television. Uh, the police had to wait until the door could be unlocked. And in the meantime, so we understand, again, all things being preliminary, hold this lightly, um, Ramos then shot people inside while the police were waiting to get in. So the security situation was poor. Granted, small town, Texas, they had a security guard. What do you expect to happen uh, in, a, in a sleepy little town 80 miles west of San Antonio? And I understand it's a beautiful little community, but still, you don't just arm up you know, like, you're, like you're somewhere in Iraq. But we're just going to have to change our thinking in our generation. I'm sorry that that's the case. One of the things that moves me is some of the film and the pictures that we have of fathers going to other schools in other cities and just standing around the campus. Uh, I have a friend who drove his child to school, saw a man standing at an entryway to a school, uh, questioned it in his mind, hmm, what's that guy doing? Came back to pick his kids up from school, saw the guy still there, called the office of the school and the office said, you know, this is just a father who committed himself to stand guard at at, at the, at the entryway to our school. And we're grateful for him. You don't need to be worried about him. And the next day, my friend went and joined him. Uh, so the community and, and the communities around the country began to respond by putting, uh, men, I'm sure women too. I just, I haven't seen any video of that or pictures of that. Um, on, on campuses, comforting the kids, being there as parents, and uh, when they, and then for those who are off campus, because you can't have a weapon on campus in most states, um, being, being armed and making sure nothing was going to happen, that there would be no copycats. So obviously, we've got some work to do on school security policy, and I'll leave that to the experts, but it's part of the solution. It's something we ought to be talking about. It's not just crack down on the guns, which is a lot of the debate that's going on right now. But finally, I want to say this, as I ponder Uvalde, the shooting, I have to tell you that a lot of the response that I want to make, what I wish I could do, what I'm trying to build an organization to be able to do is to go down there and call out men to stand up and fix and heal this community. Because as I look at the situation, and I, granted, I have a, a man lens on my sunglasses, so to speak. I see the world in terms of men and what they can be doing and how they can be serving and how they can be making the world safe and and, and how they can be um, helping women, children in every way uh, and making society safe and children whole and uh, women capable of accomplishing whatever they want to accomplish in life. I mean, I believe in all that. I believe in the power of manhood. And by doing that, I take nothing away from women. I think this is one of the best gifts I can give women, in fact. But I want Great Man, the organization that I lead, and is beginning to grow. And I've got a marvelous board that I've told you about. And we're beginning to really take off here. I, if, I, if we were where I wanted to be, and not just in the first days, I'd, I would take our team down there to Ovalde. Again, you've got about 3,500 families. I would I would pull the men together in whatever big facility we could get, the, the convention center or the largest church or community center or in a field if I had to. I'd help them heal. I'd, I'd, I'd love on them, give them things, feed them well. We would talk about men in that community because men can be the answer. I'm t- again, I'm taking nothing away from women, but it starts with this young man, Ramos. You know, what's interesting about the news stories is that no parents are ever discussed. There has been no mention. I've read maybe 20 articles of the leading articles about this, the shooting. Never are his parents discussed. He lived with his grandmother. He was from out of state. We don't, we don't know anything about his parents yet. There's no mention of a father. There's no mention of a mother. There's just a mention of this grandmother uh, who he lived with and whom he shot. He was bullied. Did any man know? He was troubled. He was crying out for help online. Did any man know? He was wearing mascara. He spoke oddly. He was intellectually troubled. Uh, Did any man know? Did any man have the ability to step into his life? Was there any organization down there? Uh, Church, men's group, just a bunch of fathers and fathers in the city who would take him in. Did we know? I mean, we're only talking about a community of, like I say, uh, 3,500 families. Um, and however you define family, he, he and his grandmother were a family a unit in that measurement. Did anybody know who he was? Did anybody pull him in? Did anybody reach out? Did anybody, uh, advertise and say, you know, if you've got a troubled young man, grandmother call us, well, we, we want to, we want to put our arm around your boy. Were there boys clubs? Was there a great man movement going on down there? Were there strong men's movements within, uh, the churches down there? I, I you know, all the ways that man stuff happens. Not criticizing the community, but I'm saying part of the of the answer here is men being men. Men being men in the life of Ramos, men being men in the life of that community, men having a noble, valid, thriving, contagious culture of noble manhood that 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 is that is contagious and sticky, as we sometimes say breaks people in and gets them stuck to us. Um, and what I would like to do in the future with great man. And no, I'm not, I'm not advertising, but I'm just telling you what my vision is. This happens again. This happens in a year or two. I'm able to take a great man team down there. I'm able to pull the men together. I'm able to speak to them, help them heal. I'm able to talk about how men can be the answer. I'm able to say, do we have any other boys like Ramos in this town who are troubled, who are bullied, uh, who are, who are sexually confused. Apparently he was, he was wearing mascara. Uh, he was. He had an odd way of speaking. That got him bullied. Do we have? Do we have men who would go into the schools, confront the bullies, know who the bullies are, speak to their parents, uh, deal with bullying, which is causing huge problems in our society, and then and then talk about what noble manhood looks like, and talk about how we can help uh, preserve that community, and talk about how we can make sure that the name of Aldi does not live. And, and, and the history of infamy, to steal a word from President Roosevelt, um, uh, and the history of violence and blood, but, but, but there's a greater story told about Uvalde, Texas. I think that can happen. And I think a lot of it depends on the men. Again, taking nothing away from women. Women were the heroes of the shooting that day. Female teachers laid themselves in front of students and were killed in the process. We know that for sure. We know they were heroes. So this is not about men versus women. we got to stop that silly discussion. It's about me urging men to be men, thus making everything better for everybody else. And somebody else is responsible to call the women out. That's not simply what I'm called to do. So I want to make a difference. And I think that manhood, the cause of manhood, the cause of noble manhood, the cause of strong band of brothers oriented, transform the society with the power of it, manhood is part of the answer in Uvalde, Texas. And I can pledge to you that great man intends to be part of that. Help us as you can. Go on our website, greatman.tv. But I'm not here to primarily raise money. I'm here to say, let's not get completely embroiled in an argument about guns, which thus far has gone nowhere and forget about the more community matters of security, forget about the more community matters of noble manhood and the difference it can make, yeah, in the life of the shooter, too late now, he's dead, Uh, but in the lives of these children, and even going forward in healing that community and being in the schools. I've extolled before in my Great Man podcast, uh, men who have gone into schools, troubled schools, just been on campus, just gotten permission from the principal and been on campus and loved on the kids and said, okay, let's hurry up and get to class or how was that math test? Or who you date and bring her to me. I want to meet her. And just be being dads. They happen to be, in this case, all African-Americans. Uh, the, one I, the one I talked about on the Great Man podcast. But they, they made a massive difference. They changed the culture in that school by just being dads on campus. It can happen. It can happen in Nivaldi. It's happened elsewhere. It's part of the answer. And women have their role too. obviously. Obviously. It's just not what I'm addressing right now. So let's not get so pulled into a gun debate that we forget about the more local issues, the more community issues. Let's pray for this community. Those of you who are nearby, maybe some of the bigger churches and organizations in San Antonio, drive those 80 miles, get over there, love on those people, help them. And I'm committed that great man is going to make difference in communities like this in the future. Thanks for putting up with a merged podcast, both the Stephen Mansfield podcast and the great man podcast. But these issues are so critical for our time that it's time for us to be sane. It's time for us to be measured, but it's time for us to be activists. And I think that's coming in our time. God bless. To join the great man movement or to book Stephen to speak at your men's event, go to greatman.tv you'll learn about Stephen Mansfield's three essential books for men, Mansfield's book of manly men, building your band of brothers and men on fire, as well as some other great resources for helping you become the great man. You are made to be the great man podcast is a Mansfield group production.